Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football Social Daily. Get ready to play with a 100% up to £150 plus 50 free spins over your first two deposits at KingCasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily, all the latest Premier League news and opinion in podcast form. Not quite daily at the moment though, as the season is over, so just three podcasts a week. But when the season does kick off again, which won't be long now, then it's back to a daily schedule. So if you don't want to miss a thing, then hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll be notified as soon as a new episode is ready. Speaking of the start of the new Premier League season, we now know that Fulham complete the trio of promoted championship sides joining Leeds and West Brom in playing their trade in the top flight next season. The Cottagers beat Brentford after extra time in the playoff final last night, securing an immediate return to the big time after a season away. But will it end in disaster this time around for Fulham, just like it did before? Also, we'll discuss Jadon Sancho's proposed move to Manchester United, which seems to be swinging like a seesaw. One minute it's close, the next it's not. Will United get the deal over the line? Plus, we take a look at the imminent return of European competition with the Europa League and Champions League set to restart again. I'm Niall McCorn, and with me on today's show, we've got not one, but two Newcastle United fans. Marley Anderson's here. Hello, Marley. Hello. Yeah, we're the only two left. Uh, everyone's uh, given up on Bruce and Ashley, so everyone's uh, everyone's gone. There's just me and Phil left. I tell you what, the pubs are always busy in Newcastle, but probably even more so. There's probably a bit of sorrow drowning going on up there on Tyneside. It is a return to Football Social Daily as well for our old pal Phil Hudson. Hello, mate. Hey, mate. All right? Yeah, I'm good. What's the mood like up there in uh, in the northeast, particularly amongst the Newcastle fans? I, I imagine it's a little bit subdued, and that's putting it lightly. Yeah, I mean, sombre, deflated hacked off you know however you want to put it um obviously it's just not been a fun time for anyone because of the significant amount of over reporting on the takeover and all the speculation and then it's all just been sort of the rugs pulled from under your feet and obviously what will really hit home is when they go and buy ac milan or marseille or someone and they become the richest club in the world and mm. where you know we end up with henry maurice who clearly hasn't got too quick to rub together. Um, <laughs> you know, we end up with him and we end up basically with the, like an American version of Venkies or something because that's what will happen. 
that's like inevitable yeah marty you were mentioning this on the podcast the other day you were saying that you just know that they're going to go and buy marseille and newcastle fans are going to be looking on thinking what might have been but yeah disappointing to hear about the takeover just interestingly actually phil whilst we're on the topic when did you kind of sort of stop believing that the takeover would kind of become a possibility was there ever a, a point in time that you can pinpoint where you thought yeah okay it's taking too long now this is not going ahead not really because i always felt that the political pressure that the premier league would be under to pass it to such a sort of globally significant trade partner to the uk mm. um would mean that it would probably go through i think the premier league have managed to play a pretty sensible cute game i mean it's a bit of cowardice but it basically just said, well, we'll just not make a decision until the Saudis get bored and we'll frustrate mm. them out. Mm. But we don't want to say no to them because that would be a political problem and possibly a legal problem. Um, and we certainly don't want to say yes to them because obviously Liverpool and Man City and Tottenham don't want that because whilst it's okay for uh, the Premier League to, clubs to want money coming into the Premier League, we don't want that much money coming into the Premier League because that would make us richer than them. <laughs> I, mean, I read in the paper there, Man City objected to the idea of what oil money would do to the Premier League's competition's integrity that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard so I think that there's a lot of skullduggery but at the same time you can't necessarily expect what are ultimately business owners to vote against their own self-interest Coca-Cola aren't saying to Pepsi oh don't worry about the sugar tax lads you just don't pay it everyone's going to vote in the interest of themselves it's it, it just is what it is yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on, though, certainly. Although the Saudis, it must be said, and the consortium um, led by Amanda Stavely didn't explicitly rule out a return for Bayern Newcastle United. It does look extremely unlikely that's going to happen at this stage. But of course, as always here on Football Social Daily, anything that comes to light regarding a possible Newcastle United takeover, and we've had a couple of them since we've uh, started doing this podcast already, um, I'm sure we will keep you up to date, bang up to date, if there is any news on that. But the first place we're going to start here on today's podcast is in the Championship, funnily enough, or not the Championship anymore for Fulham, because they ended up winning the playoff final last night. They beat Brentford by two goals to one, ensuring that they make an immediate return to the top flight having been relegated in 2018-19 back in the Premier League for Fulham joining Leeds and West Brom as the three promoted championship clubs this season. The playoff final was last night. They won 2-1 after extra time against Brentford and that fixture is often called the richest game in football. So before we discuss how they'll fare next season we should say congratulations because they were laughed at when they went down having spent 100 million quid on players Phil. So they've bounced back well. Well, I mean, that, that's an interpretation, I suppose, mate. I mean, you could argue... What, what saddens me about the championship promotion is that West Brom and Fulham bounce straight back um, or, or bounce back relatively quickly. And they're the clubs that have the, the finances because of the parachute payments. I would really have loved to see Brentford do it because I think they're such a well-run club. Fulham, I mean, to, I always felt that they'd have a shot because they had Mitrovic up front... And he's always going to score goals in the championship, despite being an absolute Raj packet. Much as I love him, um, <laughs> and they've got good players. Knockhart's like a bit of a promotion specialist. They've, you know, they've got players. Tom Kearney's a great footballer in that division. So they always had they always had good players who were going to give them a chance to get up. But I mean, yeah, you know, Scott Park has obviously rallied them, and he's done the sensible things. And um, there's been a bit of a feel good factor around that. It'd be interesting to see how he goes next year. But I would really have liked to have seen. Brentford show that it was possible. Because, yeah. I mean, Leeds have shown it's possible, but they've still spent a lot of money, particularly on Bielsa. Mm. I think what Brentford do is amazing. I'd love to have seen them go. 
Yeah, Brentford play this style. They call it Moneyball, don't they? Um, you know, trying to make profit off of players and bringing in suitable replacements. And I think the question marks for them will be over whether they can keep hold of Watkins and Ben Rama next season, who have been absolutely excellent for them this year. Um, I would have loved to have seen Brentford. Wasn't to be in the end. Fulham did get promoted. And he mentioned Scott Parker there, Marley. Um, how good a job has Scott Parker done? He took over in rocky circumstances at the end of the 18-19 season and just over a year later, they're a Premier League side again. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's done very well. Obviously, he wasn't very um, experienced. He was, uh, was. I think he was the assistant when um, the other manager got sacked. Was it Was it Jakanovic at the end of, uh, of the Premier League? I can't remember. Who it was. Did he go so first? Jakanovic got them up and then they binned him off early. And then did they not bring someone else? Like, did not bring like Ranieri in or someone really random? Yes, they did bring in Ranieri. I think you're right. Was it bloody hell, Ranieri? Christ, that feels like so well, long ago. Go. I mean, yeah, that does. It does feel like more. Like I was when the the commentators last night were like Fulham bounced straight back. I was like, Jesus, was it only last year they went down? I thought they'd been down for a couple of years. Um, I thought it was the season before, but this is just how long this is this is dragged on for. Um, but yeah, I mean Scott Parker's done well. I mean he's, he's inexperienced, but obviously he gets the he gets the club. He used to he used to play there, obviously, um, and then he's gone straight into it. He's another one of these sort of young English managers, similar to how how Lampard has has done what he's done with Chelsea. You know, he's been sort of launched in there relatively quickly, even quicker than Lampard to be fair, because Lampard had Derby, obviously. But you know, he was always going to go down when he when he had them last few. Um, the last few games of the season, um, so to stick with it and to get them straight back is is a massive achievement. Um, obviously, as Phil said, the helps with the fact that they've got experienced kind of players at that level with Knockout and uh, and Mitrovic. Um, so yeah, he's he's done a good job. You mentioned Mitrovic actually, Phil. You mentioned him as well. Uh, can you see him as a as a Premier League striker next season? It seems to be that every time he gets into the Premier League with a club, whether it be Newcastle or Fulham or whatever, he, he never really seems to fire in the top flight. But it's interesting because he seems to have bags of ability and the potential to be a decent Premier League striker. Although, Marley, I think you were questioning last night on social media the kind of the way he plays the game. He is a little bit rough and tumble and that's putting it lightly. Well, he's, <laughs> it's not the way you play... I'd... You could almost question whether he plays football or whether it's just straight up WWE because the, <laughs> the stuff he does would get it it'd get him sent off in a prison game. Honest to God, he's abs. He's just it, it. That last night was just the reason why you know Newcastle couldn't keep him. And I'm I liked him at Newcastle. I liked the the passion and the the sort of fight he showed. But it is ridiculous. It's too much. Um, you know, like he, I think he's like twenty five, twenty six now. You sh- you should have calmed down and realised what things are like and realised your responsibility as a player. But then he goes and absolutely smacks the crap out of that Dalsgaard, I think it was, and choke slams him to the floor. Uh, I think on the last championship game when they played Leeds, um, one of the last two games, yeah, he, he elbowed uh, Ben White after about two minutes, and Ben White was literally just clearing the ball, like he wasn't even challenging for it, and he just went and elbowed him after it went. And it was at that point I was like, all right, Mitrovic is still the same then, because um, there was a few links with him potentially like coming back. You know, fans fans have always liked him and stuff at Newcastle, so to see him last night do the same thing, I was like, yep, there you go. And <laughs> happily enough, um, I put a bet on him getting booked. Um, and then he wasn't starting the game, and I was like, I'm still not at all 
doubting this bet at all. He doesn't need to start a game. As long as he gets on the pitch, he'll get booked. And that's exactly what happened, so I was quidzing. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he's been watching the, uh, the Hell in a Cell 98, Mick Foley versus The Undertaker. That was a, that was a bit of a bash <laughs> between those two as well. I mean, what is it with Mitrovic then? Because as we mentioned before, and, and you've seen him a couple of times, well, more than that, Phil, play for your club, Newcastle. Why is it that he just, every time he comes into the Premier League, he just can't seem to stay there? Well, let's be honest, every time he comes into the Premier League, he, he does okay. So he's got 11 goals for Fulham last year in a season they were relegated in the Premier League. And let's, But also, let's be frank, his behaviour isn't any better in the Championship. So it's not about that he's coming to the Premier League and not seem to stay there, but he's been relegated twice. I don't necessarily think it's his fault he's played in poor sides. I think in a good side, he'd probably do quite well. Um, but his reputational problems are always going to cause him a bit of a bother in terms of being picked up by a good side because who's going to take the risk? Benitez like, just didn't trust him mm-hmm. in Newcastle. That was the, the long and short of it. But he's still quite young. He's not that old. Um, so you would probably suggest that his best years are like ahead of him. I mean, he's, he's only 25. So he's been around for a while. I think he came to us when he was 21. Mm. So you've got three or four years of him, of him is like before he's probably at his absolute peak but he's got to cut out that daftness I mean to be honest it probably adds to his game um, the, the sort of aggression but there's, there's a line and you've got to work out how to control that line mm. but if Fulham hadn't gone up last night he'd have been sold and he'd have gone for they paid us 20 million for him he'd have gone for probably double that yeah um, because he's he's a proper footballer he, he can head the ball he can, you know he's good on the deck Mobile. He, he wants. He, he's got everything you want. I would. I would carry Joe Linton to London in a straight swap deal for him. <laughs> um. So, I, I think he's a proper footballer. I think that he's played in two poor sides, and that's not necessarily a reflection on him. Benitez used to say that he he was a great striker in a side that had sixty percent possession. Yeah. That was what Rafa's thing was. He said in the Premiership, Newcastle don't play with enough possession. We play with 40% of the ball, so we need our strikers to be defensively minded as well as offensively minded. Mm. He said, but if we had, if we were playing in a side with 60% possession, we'd I'd, I'd love him. And I think that there's some truth to that. So if you look at his record for Fulham in the Championship, it's outstanding because they've got a lot of the ball and they create a lot of chances for him. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And also, I think as well with VAR in the Premier League, and you mentioned his behavioural issues and his temperament, then perhaps... Then perhaps um, that might be a bit of a, an Achilles heel for him as well with the video assistant referee in play in the top flight. Right then, Marley, let's not beat around the bush. And you didn't the other day on the podcast when we were talking about this game um, in prospect. How are Fulham going to do next season? <laughs> well, I said on I said on Monday, didn't I? If, if Watford, Watford, if uh, Fulham go up, we all know they're just going to go straight back down again. And I've, I stick by that. I don't I just don't see how they can stay up. Um, obviously, they're going to do what they should learn from from two years ago when they got promoted, and they spent a hundred million, and they basically didn't spend any of that on a defender. Um, they didn't bring any defenders in that were good enough. Um, so I think they need to, need to learn from that and and shore themselves up because as as Phil said. You know, Mitrovic will score your goals if if you give him well, if, one if he stops punching people, and two if you provide the chances for him. But just the, I just think their their um, transfer business last time just completely failed, 
Um, you know, they brought in, I think, Jean-Michel Serry from Nice, who's a promising player but had no experience of the English league and didn't do anything. They spent a lot of money on uh, Frank Zambo Anguissa, I think, from Marseille. He was rubbish. He didn't he didn't do anything. Um, they brought in a, a 35-year-old Ryan Barbel at one point, and you knew they were clutching at straws then. Um, you know, 30... I think he was... Was he 30, 31, something like that when he come in? Still had a bright red haircut, and I thought... Yeah, you're, you've, if you're 30 and you've still got a bright red haircut, you look like a, a matchstick, you are probably not going to be the type of striker who's going to you know, pull Fulham away from the uh, the drop zone. And they went straight back down, so they need to learn from that and they need to do everything differently this year, I think. Um, but I don't see them doing enough. Like It's, it's a big, big job. I think right. I think Parker will probably get sacked. I think they'll have another couple of managers next season at least, and I think they'll struggle um, big time. And I think they'll probably finish bottom if I'm honest. But one tweet last night summed it up perfectly. I found it. I was scrolling through Twitter, and somebody put, "What have we done to deserve another season of Anthony Knockout coming in off the right before scuffing it out for a goal kick in the Premier League next season?" <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that summed like it up that. brilliantly. Yeah, I do like that. It's quite funny. So Marley says that Fulham are going to finish um, bottom of the basement, Phil, right at the rock bottom of the table. Um, do you agree? Are you in the same camp? I think they'll struggle. Um, I think we, we need to just acknowledge like that it's really, really tough for anyone to come up now into the Premier League and stay up. I think anyone who does that has done a really, really good job. Um, I think it's interesting Fulham were lauded for their transfer policy at the time. Um you know, given massive props, oh, they've gone out and they've bought really good players and they've done this and they've done that. And it just, it was just an experiment that completely tanked. Um, you know, Marley alluded to people like Seri, but Alfie Mawson was big money down there mm. um, and hasn't really done it. But I think it's very, very hard for anyone coming up to stay up. You know, as Villa have shown, Villa spent a fortune to try and stay up and just scraped it by the absolute skin of their teeth. Um, I think Parker will be more of a pragmatist than say, Yukanovic was, for example, which was always going to be dangerous because, you know, like like we found with Norwich this year and Fargo, you can't go with, can't turn up in the Premier League, you know, to a gunfight with a water pistol. It just doesn't work. Um, so I think Park will be more of a pragmatist and he'll probably want to bring in more, more experienced Premier League players, perhaps. But how are you going to get those players? You know, where are they going to come from and, and are they necessarily going to want to go to Fulham? It's, it's all really, really difficult. Looking at their playing squad... If you take Mitrovic out, I don't really see where their goals are coming from. Um, and I think that they probably will struggle with them at least. So I would have to concur with Marley. I'm not necessarily certain that they'll finish bottom. Mm. Because I think Leeds will find the dark days in October onwards very, very tough like Norwich did. But um, I think that they're going to struggle. I'd say that they'll go down. You're not going to invoke the wrath of uh, of Parsons Green on the podcast like you did with Norwich fans uh, about a year ago. <laughs> it's weird, mate. Those guys in East Anglia must have had their broadband turned off um, <laughs> because I haven't heard from them for ages. <laughs> Love it. So Fulham back in the Premier League after a year away in the Championship. They won the playoff final last night by beating Brentford two goals to one after extra time. They joined Leeds and West Brom as the three promoted Championship sides coming up to the top flight next season. That's it 
for part one of today's Football Social Daily. We're off for a quick break. We'll be back after this. Football Social Daily. The crown awaits with a 100% up to £150 plus 50 free spins over your first two deposits at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. Be gambleaware.org. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, Premier League news and analysis in podcast form. Seven days a week when the season's on, but of course it's pre-season at the moment, so just three shows a week for you to get your teeth stuck into, and you won't miss a single show if you hit subscribe however you listen to your podcast. So make sure you do that, and you'll be notified of a new episode as soon as one is ready. I'm Niall. I've got two Newcastle fans, Phil and Marley, alongside me, but we won't be talking about Newcastle United now. We'll be talking about Manchester United and their pursuit of Jadon Sancho. It's a move that's been in the offing for, well, speculated for for about 18 months now. Jadon Sancho has just been brilliant, hasn't he, really, for for Dortmund in the Bundesliga and in the Champions League. Certainly a young English talent who's proved his worth overseas, which hasn't happened for several years now. Marley, we've had discussions on the show before about Jadon Sancho and a possible move to Old Trafford. I mean, now seems more likely than ever that it is going to happen. I mean, we've discussed whether last summer was the right time for him. I think we all agreed on the show that it probably wasn't. January, you can kind of write off because you never see £100 million signings in January. It's just not practical or feasible, really. Um, But this summer, it looks more likely that it might actually happen. Yeah, and it seems seems like it is going to happen. It seems like it's a... um... A matter of time now, with you know the the trusted journalists are all sort of in alignment and saying that it's uh, it's more down to the fee, um, like the you know the um, the personal terms and stuff are signed and agreed and what have you. Um, and I think as soon as Man United get rid of Alexis Sanchez, they've got the they've got the wages free there for to pay for Sancho, so they're not really losing anything. Um, and they're getting obviously one of the the best young players in Europe, so. I mean, I've I've criticised Man United and in the past about you know thinking they can they can attract uh, Sancho, but the fact is that when they when they're in the Champions League they can, and when they finish in third they they still can, because a year ago they were in dire straits. They had they, they were in need of a, an overhaul. Uh, they needed a centre back. They needed probably another two defenders. They, they needed Bruno to go through. Fast forward twelve months. They've got Bruno. They've got a centre back, you know, the most expensive one in the world. They've got a right back who they've gone out for the next ten years in Juan Bissaka. So they've fixed, and obviously they've got Bruno in January. So they've fixed a lot of those problems. And Sancho becomes one of the final, well, not the final, but one of the the final pieces in the puzzle because they've got their attack sorted. They've got the left hand side and the striker sorted in Rashford and Martial, and them two dovetail really well. And with Sancho playing, playing predominantly from the right hand side. He can be the third one in that Trident uh, attack, and with Bruno and Pogba, especially if Pogba stays, really you look at their starting eleven and you think, okay, if the goalkeeper, um, if the goalkeeper gets his form back and they get a defensive midfielder to to take over from Matic in a, in a year or so when he when he goes over the hill and sort of goes out to pasture kind of thing, then all of a sudden they're they're a top side again and and genuinely in a, in with a shout of of going for a title, but. You know when this speculation happened and started, you know last year and you know last summer and and, and all that st- kind of stuff when Sancho had had one good season in in Dortmund, I just think that was far too soon. But now, 
Manchester United are a completely different club coming off the back of that season they've just had where they they stole stole third in the end but they you know people might say they were 20 odd points off thingy but it, it doesn't really matter because they're still in the Champions League so we mm. you've still got all that income coming in you've still got this massive Adidas deal um you know lining your pockets quite nicely so you can do things in the in the transfer market that were previously unfeasible yeah, Marley's right, Phil, isn't he? The the debate is going to be over the fee. Borussia Dortmund holding out for a hundred million euros plus, whereas Manchester United probably punting for around eighty five to a hundred. Um, so that still remains to be kind of bashed out between the two parties. A fee for Sancho, but let's just presume the deal does get over the line and all the parameters are met by both Dortmund and Manchester United. What can he add to an already strong Manchester United attack, which we've seen, you know, be in frightening form at least the last. Um, few games of the season post project restart. Well, I mean, I think I think it's obvious what his qualities are. You know, his pace and his trickery and his. But what is interesting is his final ball is obviously pretty useful. If you look mm. at his his outputs in terms of assists and goals, decision making strong. You know, and he's he's clearly a massive upgrade from say a Daniel James. With all due respect to Daniel James, um, so he certainly improves the team. The interesting thing about the fee for me is like, realistically, are you going to lose money on him? No. Like if you buy him for 100 million, is he going to be not worth 100 million in five years? Well, of course he is. He's probably worth more because of the inflation of transfer fees. Mm. So, this is one of the arguments for me, my mate, have all the time about football. Is it not a great thing to do to invest in football talent? Because the values just go up and up and up. Mm. They, they, they appreciate more than arguably any other asset on a club's books. So, if you've got an opportunity to sign, as Marley alludes to, one of the best young players in Europe, does the fee really matter? If it's like 85 million or 100 million, are you going to lose 15 million quid on him? No. Yeah. Categorically, no, you're not. I think you're right as well, because especially with the age, Sancho, I mean, to get a player of that quality, he fits the homegrown bill for the for the Premier League rules. He's, um, you know, just a touch under 21, I think. So if you sign him to a five-year deal, presume that he sees the contract out. When he's 25, 26... That is when he'll be coming into his prime. That is when the likes of Ronaldo got sold by Manchester United for Real Madrid, to Real Madrid in 2009. That is the sort of prime age, isn't it, to pick up a talent really at the top of their game? Yeah, and, and also 100 million, like now, it's not, as we said, it's not 100 million. Obviously, it is 100 million, but, but like it's average Premier much, League players now go for 40 million quid. Yeah, a, a bang average Premier League player costs 20 million and a good one, you'd think would cost 40. So, I mean, 100 million for a world-class talent with the world at his feet, so to speak, does seem like a good deal. Is it just classic Manchester United trying to get as much bang for their buck, do you think, out of this? Edward would trying to pull a few strings? Yeah, if you can save... Ultimately, they'll buy him. And if you can save 10 million on you, that's great. Because you've saved 10 million pounds and it's not going to be sniffed at. But Manchester United aren't going to... Having failed on some of their pursuits in the last few years... Are not going to publicly pursue Jaden Sancho as obviously as they've done, and then risk losing him for the sake of a few million quid. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right, and I think we will see Jaden Sancho in a Manchester United shirt. How will the other sides in the Premier League feel about that, particularly those towards the top end, Marley? Because I know Manchester City, of course, they'll be watching that with intent, not only because 
he used to play for them, but also because he's gone to, you know, a, a derby rival. Chelsea, they've made some additions this window already in Ziyech and Werner. Um, and and um, Kai Havertz could be on his way as well. So, you know, they'll be looking at this one thinking, OK, Manchester United look even more dangerous. I mean, what will the kind of the dynamic be amongst those top clubs that will be hoping for a title charge next season? Well, they're thinking, you know, another player's just entered the game kind of thing. Um, you know, Liverpool and Man City are still going to be incredibly strong as they were this year. You know, City, City are going to be stronger. Um Obviously, with you signing Torres and signing Ake, and they'll probably get another centre back as well, so they're going to be stronger. Chelsea, as we've as you've just said, have got two guys coming in, possibly a third. Um, so that I mean, Chelsea didn't even finish in the top three; they finished fourth. So if you assume they're going to push for the top three, then you've got Man United, who who are strengthening by um, by going all out and getting Sancho by the looks of things. And um, I agree with with Phil. I don't think they'll. Um, Eventually, they'll they'll pay the money, whatever it is. I mean, there's so many ways you can structure a deal these days that it's in, it's almost impossible not to get to the the asking price one way or another. So, if it's seventy million down and thirty million in in you know add-ons and future things, it it's fine. You know, I I don't think a hundred million is that much for Sancho. I I think you know as we've as we've said, you know, average players go for twenty twenty five million. You're seeing championship defenders come up. I mean, Leeds apparently um, want to sign Ben White, and and Brighton want fifty million for him, and he's came off the uh, he's came out of the championship. So if if championship players coming up to the Premier League are worth fifty million, a guy who has um, got as many, I think he was first to get double figures goals and assists this season, even before Messi. Um, he was the first one in Europe to do it and he's only 20 years old and he's English and you're bringing him back home and you can afford him. 100 million is not that much. If he completely flops over the next two years, like you're still going to get 70 million for him in the future because as Phil said, you know the, the fees go up that much that you're never going to lose that much money on him. It's a, it's a smart investment. Like, like I've just been looking there. So you know we're talking about Kai Havertz going to Chelsea, right? And what's the quoted fee for that? About 85, 90 million? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Havertz last year in the Bundesliga, 12 goals, 6 assists in 30 games, which is obviously a great output from a, a young midfielder. Sancho got 17 goals and 17 assists in 32 games last year. Yeah. It's so ridiculous, output, isn't it? His output's so much better than Havertz, who's widely regarded as a great player, and he is a great player. And yeah, it might be a little bit of a simplistic analysis, but... You're looking for a goal scorer and a winger in European football. There isn't a better one, I don't think, at the moment, realistically. And he's as Molly says he's young. But also, in a, in a world where homegrown players count against Premier League quarters and count against Champions League quarters, the fact that he's English is huge. Mm. Yeah, that probably put, that probably puts another twenty million on him, doesn't it? I mean, it always did. But even with this quota, the quota coming in, you know, of the homegrown players, that puts another a, a massive, you know string to your bow in the in the Premier League so I mean I I judge everything on is he worth two and a half Joe Linton's and absolutely yes he is <laughs> oh well the fact that he's English could be worth even more money yeah and there's definitely more to it than just the fact that Jaden Sancho is going to Manchester United for x million 100 million or whatever because of course teams do like to stagger transfers True. over installments and things like that and of course we've got all of this financial 
you know, these question marks financially due to the coronavirus pandemic. And just interestingly, some news which has broken whilst we're on the podcast comes from Arsenal. Um, Arsenal are set to sign Willian uh, on, a, on a free transfer from Chelsea in a deal worth around £22 million worth of wages over the next uh, couple of years that he'll be signed on to the club. But they've also kept, um, they've also released a statement, Arsenal, saying that they're going to offer redundancy to 55 of their staff, which um, kind of leaves a little bit of a sour taste in the mar- in the mouth. Just, uh, I know we're in difficult times at the moment financially for every business and football clubs are businesses, although, you know, they shouldn't be treated um, explicitly as such, in my opinion. But still, you know, it leaves a little bit of a sour taste in the mouth, Phil, you know, from a club that were kind of on the high horse about the fact they didn't furlough staff and Tottenham, their rivals, wanted to. Um, and now all of a sudden they've decided to make 55 staff redundant. I mean, I, maybe I'm just a horrible capitalist, but they've obviously got, you know, in the best interest of their business. And by removing those 55 staff, and it isn't pleasant to think about, they may, they may end up safeguarding more jobs further down the line. Um, you know, they, they took the decision not to fill all those jobs, which was really about a political witch hunt, to be perfectly honest. And they were, they were anyone who didn't fill all staff during the coronavirus situation was crazy, to be honest. And the football clubs took loads of unfair political pressure and the players took loads of unfair political pressure mm. during the crisis, which was completely unfounded because ultimately it's football clubs and players who are going to pay for this all in high-end rates of taxation further down the line. So, I, I, you know, I have huge sympathy with the people who've lost their jobs, but you've got to you've got to separate what Arsenal do when they sign Willian on a free. Admittedly, yes, he's going to make a lot of money during the thing, and they're going to pay him a lot of money. But they're only paying him what the market value for a footballer is of his ability. Um, you've got you've got to separate that because if you don't, if you get into that discussion, you've then got to look at you know. Why on earth does Alan's maximum earn 60 grand a week when the woman who runs the Cast United Foundation probably only earns 40 grand a year? There is an obvious disparity play, but it's not going to go away. That's always been the case, hasn't it? Yeah, it's not going to go away. So I, I don't think you can get into, into those comparisons for me personally. Like I say, I mean, obviously it's not pleasant to think about, but equally any business in Arsenal would be less affected by it than say uh, Newcastle because they're less reliant on their um, on their match day receipts than say Newcastle would be because they've got better commercial operation and better merchandise operation but any business that loses that amount of money from uh, from a lack of match day revenue is mm. going to have to make changes to the model especially when they don't know when that match day revenue might return A and B they don't know what the knock on effect is going to be in terms of the TV deal and how much money they may have mm. to surrender from that. Mm. So football clubs, even at the elite level, are facing not an uncertain financial future because there's always going to be someone willing to buy one and prop one up because the, the money's so high. But but they are facing a period where it's going to be very difficult to accurately financially forecast where they're going to be. Mm. And as such, you can't really blame them for on the side of caution. Mm. There will be some people that say, you know, Meza Ozil would have... <laughs> I hope not. Um, but there will be some people that say Meza Ozil would have made enough money in the last three months um, to keep these people in work. And he hasn't played a single minute of football for Arsenal <laughs> since the beginning. Uh, well, since ages, basically. So, I mean, and there will yeah. be there will be and people that say that. And I think it's absolutely not Meza Ozil's fault, A. And B, that's Arsenal's choice not to play him. And if they, could, if they could sell him, they would. But 
but he, but Mesut Ozil can't be held responsible for that, and neither can Arsenal Football Club. Mesut Ozil could have commanded that salary at other football clubs, so Arsenal paid him in to keep him, you know, sweet. Whether whether it turns out to be a good investment or not, see yeah. also Sanchez, comma Alexis. Is, is is open to bed? Yeah, it's all about it's all about um, decisions that were made at certain times that have impacts further down the line, and you can't predict yeah, these yeah. sorts of things. So, no one had heard of coronavirus when Mesodertel signed his contract. For sure, no, no, I understand that. Anyway, time for another break here on Football Social Daily. Afterwards, we'll be talking about the return of the Europa League and the Champions League, where four English clubs are in action. Football Social Daily: The crown awaits with a one hundred percent up to one hundred and fifty pounds. Plus 50 free spins over your first two deposits at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Hit subscribe. You won't ever miss another episode of the show again. I'm Niall. I've got Marley and Phil alongside me. We're going to talk about the return, the imminent return of European football. And I mean by that the Europa League and the Champions League. It's back on the agenda and certainly through the month of August, pretty much every single game will be televised, including including those um, involving our English clubs, our Premier League clubs, of which Manchester United, Wolves, Chelsea and Manchester City are in action. Really, you could argue only three of those clubs um, will be keeping an eye on in the near future because it seems almost certain that Chelsea are going to be knocked out by Bayern Munich. They've still got to play their second leg uh, of their Champions League tie against the German champions and they are quite comfortably behind. So let's just presume for the sake of the podcast that Chelsea don't pull off an incredible comeback and end up being dumped out of the Champions League. I mean, all eyes will be on Manchester City, Marley, and I think we've said on the show before that many of us actually fancy, um, you know, Manchester City to, to do well in this Champions League restart. Yeah, um, I think you know they've they've they're going to be so uh, motivated to go and try and win this competition. I mean, obviously they are they would be already. Um, you, I'm not saying that they wouldn't be, but sometimes you know that extra carrot in, that dangles in front of them is uh, is a real sort of um, thing to, to to grab onto and to to do well because obviously they want to stick it to UEFA um, and say you know. If you're gonna you're gonna come at us and then we're gonna we're gonna win your competition and you try to kick us out of it. So it'd be, you know, perfect karma if they if they did win it. Um obviously they've got a hell of a job on their hands, they've got a gauntlet to run. Um I think to be honest, I think their easiest game from now, if they if they made it to the final, I think their their potential final would be the easiest game they've had because they had Real, have Real Madrid, and then they might have Barcelona or Juventus, and then they might have, um, I think it's PSG uh, or I think, can't remember who's in the other half, but I think PSG. Someone good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I can't remember who it is now. I think, but PSG is with the strongest side in the other bracket, the other half of the bracket. Mm. So it's almost like you know, if you can get past Real Madrid, then you can get past Barcelona and Juventus. You know, you've almost earned earned the right to the final, and even better, you know, you've got the um, the Abu Dhabi group, and then you can beat Qatar in the finals if you want to have it as almost like a world war final. It's practically there, you know, it's practically there for the taking. So, you know, let's see what I think they've got the hardest game left um, on Friday when they play Real Madrid because obviously they're only I think the one goal up, aren't they? The one two one, um, and I think. 
with Real Madrid coming off the back of winning their their La Liga title, obviously they're they're going for this um, big time. They want to get their their fourth um, fourth title in the in the past five years or whatever it is. So they'll be uh, they'll be bang up for it, and it'll be the very best Real Madrid that you can possibly ask for. And fair enough, they're if Man City managed to see them off, then they're, they're well placed to go and uh, to go and win it. Mm, yeah, Manchester City, all eyes will be on them. And I think Pep Guardiola does really crave that Champions League, um, particularly after the kind of failings in the last couple of seasons, if you can call them that. Of course, the uh, last year against Spurs was just an incredible, um, you know, rip-roaring game over two legs between those two sides. Um, and let's talk about the Europa League because Manchester United, we know, have qualified for the Champions League next season. So they don't need to win the Europa League in order to get um, at the top table in terms of European club competition. But certainly for Wolves, with Arsenal winning the FA Cup at the weekend, that kind of bumps them out of the Europa League spots um, entirely. So basically, they need to make sure that they win the Europa League, Phil, if they are going to be playing European football next season. Now, you know, it's not beyond reason. Wolves have a strong squad, but can you see Wolves going all the way in the Europa League? Not for me. Um, I think it's a good side left in the Europa League, um, and it's a really difficult competition to win. I think Wolves will suffer. They've got a relatively small squad. Um, if you look at their, their squad rotation, it's not particularly... Um, they, they don't rotate very often. So they, some of their lads like Jimenez and people like that have played a lot of games. And I, and I think that might come to to bite them in the backside, as it were, later on. I mean, you've, there's some proper sides still in this competition. I mean, obviously, you've got to, you've got to be in there at some point. They're proper top draw. So that's going to be a hard game for anyone. You've got Sevilla, Roma. Whoever wins that will be, they'll take some stopping. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Leverkusen versus Rangers. Everyone knows Rangers are going out in the rubbish. But there are some decent sides. I fancy Roma or Inter, to be honest, for this. I don't think Manu will be bothered in the slightest now because... They're in the Champions League anyway, which is all that they're asked about being in the Europa League for. I don't think it has any prestige in England, this competition, but I think on the continent it still carries quite a lot of prestige. And someone like an Inter, I think, could, could get it done. Mm, certainly, I think you're right about Manchester United. Marley, would you agree with Phil? Do you think that you know maybe the Europa League's a step too far for both uh, English sides this season? Or do you think that we will see... Um, either one of those two either in the final or they might even have to play against each other if the draw falls the right way well they can't they can't play each other in the final because the tournament tree is done now um, so I think Wolves if Wolves get past Olympiacos they'll play the winners of Sevilla and Roma um, and then the winners of that game will play the winners of, of Man United's little um, little quadrant of the of the uh, of the draw so Man United play Lask and then obviously the 5-0 up and they'll play the winners of Istanbul Basaksehir versus Copenhagen, so they should they should walk that. Um, and then it's likely to be a semi-final against Roma or Sevilla, whoever wins that, or Wolves. And I think I just think Man United. I don't know why. I just think Man United will will go for the Europa League because usually in the final stages of the Europa League, when you get to that point of the season, you 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 know. Um, You've got your uh, two two or three games a week, and you get into the important stage of the league season. But with the way this this season's worked, they can now solely concentrate on the Europa League, even though they don't really want it. But they've got nothing else to do. You can't mm. you can't really go. And, well, you could, but you you can't go and send the players on holiday and just say right, we'll we'll use everyone else <laughs> because you've got your Europa League squad. It's the same twenty five man squad. 
so you've got to use them players. So why not why not try and win it? I I think they should go and try and win it. But if you're looking, you know, Phil said about um, who who needs to win it. Man United don't need to win it because they're in the Champions League anyway. It's a similar situation with um, Sevilla because Sevilla came fourth in the um, in the Spanish league. Inter finished second, so they don't need it. The only team in the in the 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 sort of conversation that really needs it is Roma, because Roma finished in mm. the Europa League places in in Italy, and they need to uh, obviously if they win the Europa League, they qualify for the Champions League. So they're playing Sevilla, and if they win that, and Man United get past um, Copenhagen or Basaksehir here after they beat Lask, then it'll be Roma versus Man United, and then that would be. Uh, That'll be for a place in the final. So, I I expect Man United to 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 go pretty far. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a Man United versus Inter Milan final, and then it's like mm. uh, the Lukaku and Alexis Sanchez uh, deals. <laughs> Ashley coming, Young final. <laughs> yeah, coming back to uh, coming back to haunt them. I don't think they'd, they'd allow Sanchez to play, but Lukaku obviously could. So, that'd be a nice little yeah. bit of karma. But I I just think Man United should go for it. At the end of the day, it's silverware. So I know they don't need it, mm. but. Like I said, they're in. They've got nothing else to do. So why why not go and try and win it? Yeah, it would be a nice bit of uh, maiden silverware for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as Manchester United boss. Right then, that's it for today's podcast. Thanks very much, Marley. Thank you. Nice to speak to you again, Phil. Hopefully get you on soon. <laughs> Cheers, man. Enjoy the golf in the meantime. Um, my name's Niall. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll be back again on Friday. You can send in your questions and ask us some questions and see what strange answers we come out with. It's our AQA podcast, as Jim Salverson likes to call it. All questions answered. So send in your questions via our social media channels. It's at the Sports Social on Twitter. You can also search for us on Instagram and Facebook and send us your questions via that. And we'll do our best to answer them. That will come up on Friday. But until then, see you later here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. The crown awaits with a 100% up to £150 plus 50 free spins over your first two deposits at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.